This is Story and Rain Talks, the Story and Rain podcast. I'm Tamara, founder and editor in chief. After over 20 years in the fashion and magazine industries, I launched StoryandRain.com, a digital fashion, beauty, and lifestyle publication where we're bridging the gap between reading a magazine and shopping its pages. On this podcast, you'll discover the emerging trends and tastemakers that matter right now. As a catalyst for creativity and through candid conversations with our community of cultural arbiters, we're your resource for discovering today's most interesting people, projects, and products. And we'll explore the origins for game-changing ideas and careers. With our high-low approach to style and the belief that there's magic in the mix, we're going to inspire you to live your most stylish life. The story of healer Deborah Hanekamp is both inspiring and miraculous. Profoundly affected by the experiences of two powerful water rituals in her life, her baptism and during a moment while studying plant healing, have led her to what she calls her artistic medium, her beautiful and unique healing modality, ritual baths. Another source of inspiration is travel and it's part of what's contributed to her richly colored life. She loves putting herself through intense culture shock and seeing what connects us all. On episode 89, Mama Medicine, as Deborah is called, talks about her treasured time in Thailand and life-altering days in the Amazon. But it's been her willingness to find the good and difficult experiences that has not only carried her through life, but propelled her higher and towards her life's work. At age 17, she was working four jobs and found herself living on her own. When she was told she had a tumor in her ovary that would prevent her from having children, she refused to accept it and embarked upon a deep dive into becoming her own healer. Forever led by the strong sense that she had no option to ever give up, today Deborah helps others see the bigger picture in life through her medicine readings and is a guiding conduit of healing through her signature ritual baths. On this podcast, we discuss her gorgeous book of the same name, and we talk about how at age 12, she recalled talking to friends about the auras of color she sees around people and around certain inanimate objects, including the Statue of Liberty. Mama Medicine's mission is to encourage and empower people to become their own healers, like she, by seeing their own auras and creating mindset shifts. You'll also listen to us discuss the commonality she's seeing in people these days, how we're taking accountability and looking to go deeper. We touch on the pandemic and how grief can be a spiritual activator while providing a wider view of the world. We get into specifics of color aura and how she sees rainbow color, for example, around her celebrity clients. Deborah shares how she accesses her most creative self, her journal ritual, her love of writing, and her desire for how writing will play a role in her future. We talk charlatans, motherhood, religion, and how her interest in and view of psychedelics and plant medicine, a big topic these days, has changed. It was a joy to talk to this powerful and thoughtful soul, this beauty from the inside out, Deborah Hanekamp. How are you? Great to talk to you. Let's start at the beginning. Describe your gift. For as long as I can remember, I've been able to see people's auras, their energy field. And throughout the past 20 years or so, I've used this ability to see people's auras to help them be their own healers. Say what I see about people and then point out different things, mindset shifts, 
to help people be their own healers and through something I facilitate called medicine. And how have you cultivated and developed your gift over the years, would you say? I knew what I wanted to do right off the bat, right out of high school, but there was no universities for healing the world. (laughs) So instead, I went back and forth to Thailand uh, for five years and I studied sound healing and crystal healing and energy healing. And then I really did a deep dive going back and forth to the Amazonian jungle in Peru for eight years and doing a whole deep study with the Mestizo lineage for healing with sound song in particular and with plants. But really it's through experience and just working and throwing myself out there. How does creativity play a part in your gift? I think that there's a lot of creative problem solving that comes through with it. So it's not just being able to see where things are off or out of alignment, but also feeling into and sometimes even seeing very clearly what the solution could be as well. When did you become aware that you had the gift? Can you tie it to a very particular moment of discovery? Yes. I remember being 12 years old and talking to my friends about the different colors that different people had and them all looking at me like I was totally crazy. And that's when I realized that not everybody saw things how I saw them and saw people how I saw them. I think it's interesting that it happened at 12 because it wasn't exactly early on. You were almost becoming a teenager at that point. Yeah. And I had just assumed, I think up until that point, that everybody saw things and saw color in the same way that I did. How does seeing color all the time affect your own mood? I know that you see color tied to people. So there's that whole element of what's going on in their lives. But I would think how wonderful for somebody to be in a constant bath of color. I don't focus too, too much on the auras of different strangers or people that I'm passing by. You know, I live in New York City and that would be just so incredibly overwhelming, but it's more how I see the world. So I don't know if I have something to compare it to. I don't know if I have a different way to compare it to. Your philosophy is to be Mm -hmm. your own healer. So I was just wondering what qualities does somebody need to possess in order to be able to do so, in order to become their own healer? What needs to be in place for someone in order for them to step into You just have to have the will to heal. There's something really important to keep in mind, which is that some people do not want to heal. And if you have no will, then no techniques or books or practices are going to help. They're not going to go anywhere. But if you have the will to heal, if you want to heal, then you will heal. And it might not be immediate because we have to practice patience, presence, and perseverance with the healing process. And actually, there is never really this healed as a destination to get to. It's always just a healing spiral. But eventually, you start feeling better and better, I guess. You grew up with religion in your life and you were drawn to religion and religious practices like baptism at an early age. How do you explain that? Why do you that was, or is that inexplicable? I think that, and this goes back to being super young, like even three years old, I was totally obsessed with the idea of God and being close to God in any form. And so I was raised in this really strict Baptist 
setting and this idea of connecting to God through water and having your sins washed away through water, it was huge for me. And I think that as I grew up, there were some of the things that I saw within the church that didn't really resonate with me or felt a lot like hypocrisy. And at the same time, I began learning about different religions, different names of God. I think I just wanted to know all of them. I have to say, I still have that same exact desire or wish to be as close to God, goddess, love, the great mystery, whatever you want to call it as possible. Another thing that I find so fascinating is you eventually moved away from your strict, you said evangelical Baptist. And I think you say that it was sort of cult status strict. Mm -hmm. And you moved away from that. I think in many cases, the experience of that might repel people from anything even remotely spiritual in nature. So it's so interesting to me that you hung on to the core of what was behind spirit and belief, right? Yeah. And I think that it's important to find the good from different experiences. In your church, I think baptism occurred around age 30, but you yearned to be baptized as a child much sooner. And you felt a lot of comfort from the idea of washing away your sins, you've said. What did sins mean to you then? Did you have a real understanding of sin as well? Or was it like a child's version of what sin might be? Well, in the church, I mean, you're taught you're a sinner and you're damned to hell. It was very hellfire and damnation kind of talk, you know? So I was like, oh my God, I'm a sinner. Every Sunday, the pastor of my church would have people raise their hand if he would want them to pray for them to be saved. And even though I had gotten saved every Sunday before that, (laughs) I would still be there like raising my hand. I need to be saved. Please pray for me. It's amazing how everything happens for a reason. And then shortly after your baptism, it was discovered that you had a large tumor that was crushing your ovary. Did you spend like a month in the hospital after surgery in pain? And then, you know, simultaneously, that recent baptism that you went through gave you comfort. And as you say in your book, Ritual Baths, which we're going to talk about in detail, from then on, my life was consumed with trying to understand where my tumor came from and how I could heal myself so that one day I could become a mother. Yeah. Was that really the core that stayed with you over the years? Or did this evolve into much more than healing yourself for the pursuit of motherhood? I think it evolved into much more. I think even at that young age, I was like, why? Why did this happen? Right. Of course. What does this mean? There has to be meaning behind this. What does this mean? And it led me into continuing to ask the question. Perhaps I still do ask the question, like, why did that happen? What does it mean? It led me to continuing to ask the question, but not necessarily needing the answer. However, on the path of continuing to ask the question, there was so much healing that occurred around that. Um, I don't know if that was the only reason why I deep dove into being my own healer myself, but definitely in regard to not necessarily believing the doctors when they told me they didn't think that I would be able to have a kid. I knew I was meant to be a mother. That led me to keep asking the question, why? And also, I don't believe them. So how can I heal? 
I'm curious of the people that you meet in your work. Do you find that a lot of people have that kind of faith or are most people lacking that kind of faith when they're going through a tough time to sort of see the bigger picture and see the reasoning behind something rather than wallowing in the pain? What do you find with the people that you meet? Is there a trend in one direction or the other? Well, I think it really varies. However, I have to say that I could compare it in a time frame where now I think when I see people for medicine readings, they're really focused on the bigger picture of things and the meaning behind things and, and wanting to go deeper and really taking responsibility and accountability for their own healing journey. Whereas even four or five years ago in my one-on-one medicine readings, there would be a lot of victim consciousness and fix me kind of attitude from a a place of pain. Yeah, exactly. Do you think that the pandemic has made people want to feel sort of more in control with a world that feels out of our control right now in terms of this pandemic? Do you think that the what the result, this might be sort of a beautiful byproduct of people just feeling, like you just said, taking ownership of their actions and their thoughts. Yes, absolutely. And I also think that we've all lost so much in this pandemic. We've all lost so much. And I think grief is a very powerful activator for us to begin to look into our own spirituality and to begin to look at the bigger picture. You meet people who have no connection to their spirituality at all, who all of a sudden are feeling the person, the loved one who they lost around them, even though that person has passed. Grief has a really powerful way of helping us to have a much wider view on the world, I think. And to go back to that time, what followed after this removal of a tumor was that you said that your family unit began to break apart and the church was no longer a part of your routine. So it was then that you took things into your own hands, so to speak, which you were referencing and you began exploring other ways to connect to spirit. During that time, you began to tap into the fact that you'd always seen color around people, as you mentioned, and you learned that you were seeing people's auras. Can you talk a little bit more about the idea behind auras and the colors that are involved and what they mean. It's a big part of your work. Yeah. Well, people have auras, but also plants, animals, sometimes inanimate objects have auras. Like the Statue of Liberty has a yellow aura. Wow. I guess it's... Yeah. That's incredible. (laughs) Which is... Yeah. It's really interesting too, because the Statue of Liberty has a yellow aura and yellow to me is a color of joy and a color of freedom actually, and intelligence. It's really interesting. The aura is just the energy that we emit and it changes based on what we're going through and what we're experiencing. But some people have like a base color in their aura. So I'll see them for one medicine reading and I'll have a feeling that the next time I will see them, they'll have the same color. That's like their home base. So if somebody has a red aura, they have a tendency, or I guess the best word would be loyalty. They're going to be there for you. They're going to show up and they're going to be there on time, no matter what you're going through. There's a real attention to home and the third dimension, the ground and the earth and everything that can be touched and felt. And then orange, it's a lot of focus on relationships. It's a lot of focus on creativity. 
it also can sometimes be a little bit controlling yet at the same time there's a really strong focus on happiness as well and especially happiness within relationships yellow is joy it's freedom it's intelligence and green is connection to nature it's creativity it's a natural healing energy there's something really mothering about green to me as well blue like a kind of light blue color is usually a color of a great communicator teacher someone who has their own connection to spirit no matter what religion they're raised in someone who needs to find their own way someone who's really really focused on balance and if anything in their life is just slightly off balance, they're going to feel really, really off balance. Indigo is usually someone who had a really challenging early life, but now have developed psychic gifts or like a sixth sense. They're really deeply connected to their intuition. Violet is really strong spiritual energy, oftentimes spiritual energy that has been activated by grief. Rainbow aura, is, it's a color that I see around a lot of my celebrity clients and musicians and people that are just really meant to be out there and seen in the world. You know, everyone loves the rainbow. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. What color would you say your home base color is and what color do you see around me? I think that you have a lot of green and then you have gold also. So green is that connection to earth. It's natural healing. It's a lot of empathy, basically, mm -hmm. and creativity. And then gold, that's protection. Gold is protection. It's a protective color. The green and the gold together, I think, is important to point out as a color combination of healing, actually. I see it a lot around people who have Reiki attunements and things like that. It's so interesting. And do you have a home-based color? Are you so in tune to this that you see your color in fine print, really fine-tuned to how your color or your aura changes all the time? Well, it's a little hard for me to say for sure, because mm -hmm. it's hard for me to see my own aura. But oh, interesting. When, when I close my eyes, I think it's my own aura that I'm seeing. And I usually see violet and indigo. Mm. That makes so much yeah. sense. At age 17, you found yourself on your own. And I was just wondering, how were you staying connected to your creative self at that point in time when you were out in the world at age 17 and on your own? You know, at that time, I think I had four jobs. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Where were you working? I was bartending at like a regular bar. And then I was bartending at an after hours club. And I was catering. I was doing so many different odds and ends, whatever I could get yeah. my hands on jobs, right? Mm -hmm. But I was also going to community college and going to fine arts classes at a community college. It's incredible that you were juggling all that. Yeah, I didn't really sleep that much. I remember sometimes I would sleep three, four hours a night. I didn't really sleep that much, but I got through it. <laughs> Where were you in college? Was this in New York? No, this was in Connecticut, in Hartford, Connecticut. But I was going to Manchester Community College. Yeah, you it was also, right before I came down to New York. How long have you been in New York at this point, Deborah? 20 years in New York. Amazing. 
around yeah. that time too, I was reading that you realized that you could make a choice about the incredibly tough experiences that you had early on in life. We were just talking about this. You could let the pain of the past become your future, or you could surrender understanding that there was this idea of purpose behind the experiences. But do you recall exactly when you came to that insight? Was there a moment tied to that insight for you? I don't know if there was this exact moment, but I remember during that time, things being so hard and sometimes working so hard to pay rent and pay the bills, but still not having enough money to eat very much food. And thinking to myself, you have to get yourself out of this. Nobody is going to get you out of this, but you. And what are you willing to do to get yourself out of this? You can't give up. There's no option to give up. You have to keep going. And I really think that my spiritual practices and outlook on life that I had already developed at that time was what helped me. And I began noticing at that time as well that I really had a gift for helping others see the bigger picture in life, basically. And so... What I am offering now, it started forming all the way back then. You talked a little bit about traveling to Thailand. You were also in the Amazon for study. I'm assuming you were traveling alone. How did that strengthen and inspire you, travel? Yeah, I mean, it seems right. like travel continues to inspire you, right? It does. I think for me, a big part of my fascination feels like a closeness to God, focusing on what connects us. And I love being reminded that my culture is not the only culture in the world. And I love putting myself through intense culture shock. And I'm here in Copenhagen for the first time, which is such a beautiful city. And yesterday I went out and I was like, feel into the city and learn from these different places and these different people I meet and then be able to find the common thread and what connects us. Yes, it's beautiful. I want to paint a picture of life for you in Thailand. What was life like? What was your day-to-day life like there when you were spending time in Thailand? Being in this really beautiful island setting, like mountains within a beautiful turquoise ocean. And then... Almost every single day, I would start the day going to meet my teacher there. She worked out of a massage place. So she taught me healing with crystals, healing with sound, healing with energy, but she worked out of a massage place. And so I would go and get my lessons from her for two, three, four hours. And then I would get massage almost every day. Because you could do that in Thailand. Wow. It was, yeah. yeah. Heavenly. Yeah. And how and why did you eventually make your way to the Amazon to train as a shaman? At that point, you were studying all sorts of spiritual and healing practices. What led you to go to the Amazon? When I was in high school, I had been really interested in psychedelics. LSD, psilocybin. I was very, very interested in psychedelics. And me drugs not too too into alcohol but the psychedelics were very fascinating to me which is and a huge topic right now right yeah it's a huge topic right now and it's really interesting because how people are beginning to use psychedelics now i was doing between the ages of 13 through 17 however 
when I found myself completely on my own, when I was 17, I was like, okay, I need to actually be really present with the third dimension right now. So no drugs, no alcohol, no nothing. And stayed like that for a long time till I was about 23. And then there was this healer coming to New York, a shaman who facilitates ayahuasca ceremonies from the Peruvian Amazon. Everything I heard, I was like, yes, 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 I'm going. I didn't really know what ayahuasca was, but I heard shaman from the Amazon. You get these like full body yeses about that sometimes. Right. So I went to the ceremony and during the ceremony, it was like every single person in my life came to me and I was giving them healing and I was receiving so much healing and it was so beautiful. And I had this really strong connection with the shaman. He came up to me at the end of the ceremony and he was like, you're a healer. And he invited me to work with him and come study with him. Now, to be fair, looking back at that whole situation, I think he also had a crush on me, which was like later. <laughs> Not to laugh, but revealed. right, right, you right. Know? It was hard to see that at the time, right? I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that there my, were some ulterior motives there. Right? There were some ulterior motives involved in that for sure. My ego definitely didn't want to see that, though. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> anyway, so. I did get the opportunity to train with him and whoever he was as an individual, he was an incredibly gifted shaman. And I got to travel with him and learn from him. And then eventually I got to meet his teacher who became my teacher. And he was the one who gave me the plants to help get pregnant with my daughter. And ultimately the one who I received my coordination or my initiation with within that lineage. And you had a powerful experience there. Is that what you're talking about up until that point when you had said like you hadn't even scratched the surface of the self-healing that you were after? You had another powerful experience with water while you're in the Amazon. Yeah. So the first really powerful ritual bath experience was my baptism. And then the second one that happened was I was having just an awful experience on Dieta, which is where you go and you're open to the elements of the jungle and you're fasting and 10 days to one month to three months. It's a very intense experience. And I thought I had done all this healing work. Again, the healer ego was pretty strong. (laughs) I see. You thought you were spiritually prepped for that experience and you learned that you were not. Yeah. And also, I think back then, in hindsight, I thought there was a healed dot to get to. That healing was actually a destination. I didn't realize that I would continue to heal from certain things throughout my entire life. And so I did what we know as spiritual bypassing, where I assume that I have healed from something, but really what's happening Uh, is I'm just not looking at it. Right, right, (laughs) right. A lot of people do that. Yeah, so guilty. (laughs) But I'm down there and I'm doing this super intense experience. And then all of a sudden it was like, I was having a really hard time. My, My reality shifted. Everything became very, very dark and 
my teacher brought me to a waterfall and he gave me clay and he was like, okay, cover yourself in clay and then go stand under the waterfall. So I covered myself in clay, went to stand under the waterfall and then I come out and he gives me honey. He's like, okay, cover yourself in this under the waterfall. I did that. Meanwhile, he's mixing all these plants into a pot and singing over them. And he's like, all right, come over here. And he begins pouring the flower water on me, the water with all the plants on me. And he's singing. And I felt like everything bad in me left and a sense of true peace, not bypassy peace, but really true peace just washed over me. And it was just such a strong and profound shift in consciousness. It was unbelievable. Would you say that there's something about the physical experience of ritual that helps flip the switch on the mind? I would say that there is because I think that ritual brings us presence. You know, we are paying attention to detail. We're bringing presence into things. What followed that moment for you, which another thing that I find so interesting is that you had this other moment of clarity, this time about plant medicine. And I'll just read it from your website. You said, before awareness around cultural appropriation was more widely acknowledged, I started becoming very sensitive to the harm that it can cause during my apprenticeship as during that eight-year span of time when you were studying plant medicine, ayahuasca went from being virtually unknown to very popular. I recognized that even though I had this rare, extremely authentic experience, which we just talked about, this wasn't my culture and it just didn't feel right to offer what wasn't mine. I realized that I didn't want to give people something from outside of themselves to heal. I wanted to help them find the medicine within the power of love. While I felt so adopted and embraced by the jungle and her people, with great respect, I chose not to pursue the plant medicine path. Can you talk a little bit more about that? That was a really strong realization for me. Because before, if you began the journey with me, I was one of the only white people going into the jungle at that time who were not from that particular culture as well, right? Yes. And then you fast forward through the years and you see people coming down. They want to be a musician or something didn't work out with being a musician. Instead, they start calling themselves shaman and they go buy some ayahuasca in the market. And I saw a lot of harm being caused to the people and also to ayahuasca and ayahuasca becoming an endangered plant species. And now you can only really get cultivated ayahuasca, whereas before there was this whole really powerful initiation experience to become a shaman where you would have to go and find your own vine of ayahuasca to be able to serve ayahuasca. So I felt so much respect for the people and so much respect for the plants. I had to take into consideration the example that I was setting for other people. People would look at me and not assume that I had this whole authentic experience. And I really thought a lot about how the example I set just from what I look like. And so it was a big decision for me, but that and also not wanting to give people something from outside of themselves to heal, but help them to find that giant cup of ayahuasca within them was two really big deciding factors for me to walk away from that path. And again, that points to your big picture thinking that you learn to cultivate and that you try to 
allow others to see, right? You were thinking beyond your day-to-day. You were thinking, what does it mean for me to be involved in something like this? What kind of example am I setting, right? It's a bigger picture outlook. You also say this, and I love this. I looked up to many shamans, healers, and teachers, but when I looked closer, I was saddened by how they treated people close to them as we were just talking about. I grew up in a very blue-collar rural environment and met many construction workers and bartenders who had more spirituality in their pinky finger than a lot of those calling themselves gurus or masters. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What does that mean exactly? <laughs> well, I love no. that. <laughs> look, in the spiritual world, being this curious kid who just wanted to know all things God and spirituality related right. at a very young age. And, you know, I wasn't a bad looking kid. And I think that the amount of creepy gurus and yoga teachers and stuff that just would be like 25 years older than me and feel like it was perfectly appropriate for them to find some spiritual reasons or whatever. I thought it was just so disgusting, honestly. I don't know how else to put it. And then if it wasn't that, it was this guru on a pedestal who was so disempowered themselves. And then they're taking everyone's power because they don't realize how disempowered they are. So yeah, I saw a lot of shadow in it. And I also saw a lot of charlatans. Charlatan is the best word to use who make it seem like they have some sort of spiritual power that you can never obtain or they're connected to some great and wise being that they're channeling and you have to just sit and listen to every single thing that they say or do and you have to do the steps that they tell you to do or you will never receive enlightenment. And I don't necessarily know that enlightenment is this state that you find and then you stay in forever. I think we all can experience moments of enlightenment from time to time. Meanwhile, I have a friend who owns a pizza restaurant. He has some of the deepest spiritual insights and thoughts I've ever heard. Or a lot of the construction workers I've met, they're so focused on loving their family. And I think that spirituality is very accessible and obtainable to us all. And it's about the love that is within us and not about what you wear or what you put on or what words you use. Yeah, your persona. What rituals do you put in place to help you tap into your gift and focus on each client? For me, meditating and of course, baths are two really big ones. Also, giving myself just alone time is really big because as soon as my daughter wakes up, I am full-fledged in service mode for the whole day. You know, I get her ready for school. And then I'm in service to people in my one-on-one medicine readings all day. And then I'm in service to my Space by Mama Medicine community. I'm just in service all day. So those two hours at the beginning of the day, and I wake up very early for it, even if I go to bed late, it's the most healing thing for me. And sometimes in that two-hour window, all I do is sit and pet my dog and pet my cat's and just do nothing, you know, but that alone, it helps to prepare me. And I would think that your physical surroundings have a look and feel that you need to feel right. How important is setting both personally and professionally? And what does it look like? 
Okay. Well, I'm pretty picky about that. <laughs> so I figured that. I would think that setting is very, very important, plays a big role. Yeah. It's pretty huge. I'm very, very particular about my environment and filled with life also. So I love having plants around me and objects from nature around me everywhere. The more nature I'm surrounded by, the safer I feel with my work. And I live in the city, so I bring all the nature inside my house. And how and when do you get your best ideas and do you record them anywhere? So I carry a journal with me wherever I go. And sometimes I walk away from it for a little bit and then I have to run over to the journal to jot down an idea. I have one journal that's like my messy journal and I take all the notes. Is this one sentence that came through recently that there's no difference between healing and being healed? And I had to run to write that down and then process it and sit with it for a while. So you have a messy journal and then you have like a fully fleshed out journal? Yeah, exactly. That's (laughs) so interesting. Organized. Yeah. I love that. Messy comes with me everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a certain journal you like to buy for your thoughts? You know what? I'm in the market for finding a new one, like a really good one. Mm, Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. That. Your experience with these two powerful water rituals led you to begin making ritual baths part of your work. And that's also the name of your book. Can you talk about how you work with clients first during your signature medicine readings and how baths play a part? So with medicine readings, you come and I hear from you about anything you have going on in life. What's happening? Why did you want to do the medicine reading? Like, What's brought you to this moment? What are you calling in? What are you clearing out? What are you currently healing? I want you to tell me everything and be specific, basically, because this activates our time together and it calls your attention and intention into the medicine reading because you're being your own healer already just by talking about everything. And then based on what you say, we sit together for about 30 seconds with our eyes closed and I read your aura and then I tell you what I see coming up in your aura in relationship to what you already called into the medicine reading. And then of course, sometimes different random things come through or last night I was facilitating a medicine reading and the woman was like, okay, I really want to focus on my career, but her relationship really was what was coming through in her aura. And I was like, well, you know, we can talk about your career a little bit, but what we really have to focus on today is your relationship. So we talk, we have a conversation and it's filled with mindset shifts and people usually feel things clicking into place. People usually get massive insights and aha moments. And then after we talk for a little bit, I have you lay down. And we do a whole healing ceremony with distance energy healing and song. And then when that's over, I prescribe you a ritual bath based on everything that has come up. And for me, the ritual bath is important for you to weave the time we have together with. So you really feel like you have a tool to practice being your own healer with. Your book, Ritual Baths, It's an absolutely gorgeous work of art. Your photos of each individual bath are astounding, in my opinion. They're incredible. It feels like it was made with so much love and care. How did the book come together? Thank you so much for saying that. 
it was about a two-year process. I had to work through some blocks, actually, with how big writing the book felt. So I had to write at a time where my mind was the quietest. And that was like 3 a.m. till 7 a.m. And I was writing the book, writing the book. Everything felt terrible at one point. I got rid of everything. Really? Woke up at 3, yeah. <laughs> Woke up at 3 a.m. for about two weeks straight, 3 a.m. to 7 a.m. And that's when the whole bulk of the book came through. Two weeks straight, 3 a.m. to 7 a.m., just writing, 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 and it flowed. Came out it of you. It just completely flowed. Yeah. And I mean, this is yeah, such a beautiful very- book. It really is. It's just filled with love and care. 3 to 7 a.m. So do you feel that you wake up creatively at night? Yeah. Or feel like everything around me is really, really quiet at that time. And I need the silence to create from. I need to not have any external influence on the creative process. So no noise. Also, no noise in my mind. My mind is quiet. And I'm sort of sleeping and I'm sort of awake in a weird way. So I can flow. There's no holding back, basically, with the words. Who did these photos for you? Talk about the process for creating these beautiful photos. This was really, really, really important to me. Who's going to be shooting my works of art? Because the ritual baths for me, it's sort of my artistic medium. I mean, Um, look at it. It's just incredible. I mean, I I don't have to show you. Each photo is so incredible. They feel like painting. Like I'm painting with water and plants. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to work with somebody who was familiar with my work and really respected that the baths were my artistic medium. And so I worked with this amazing photographer. Her name is Ashley River Brandt. She would shoot for me with baths once before. And I was like, hey, Ashley, would you like to shoot my book? And she was like, yes, absolutely. And she shot it on film. And then she did this really cool double exposure thing. Looks like where it. that's when you see the flowers over the baths and stuff like that. And you yeah, just sort had of, so much fun. It looks like it. I mean, the photos are so incredible. Speaking of the baths being your artistic medium, which they really are, they're so artful. Is there a way to evolve these baths, this artistic medium of yours into anything else? Are you thinking about that? Is there anything else you can do to expand that vision that you have, that beautiful artistic vision and ritual that you've created? Do you think about more ways to work with it or expand on it? Yeah, I do a lot. How baths fold into spaces and baths within spaces and creating curated ritual baths experiences. Right now, I'm working on creating a really special, beautiful ritual bath kit with this company, Max and Me, who they put all the attention to detail that I put into creating baths. They put that into their products. So their their products are really artfully designed. So it feels like there's a lot of synergy with this. And that way people can be their own artists. I'm excited to buy that. That's going to be incredible. Do you have an ETA for when that might get released or be happening? It's looking like late November 2021. Soon. That's so exciting. We can't wait to try that, to look at them and to see them. Amazing. You say that the more your work evolves, the more you try to take yourself out of it. What does that mean? It's hard to really explain, but I kind of want people to 
forget me in a weird way. I want people to feel like the clarity and the insights that come through when they spend time with me. It's something that has always been in them and they're just remembering it. I want them to not put me in front of their own power in a way. That's the idea of taking myself out of my work a little bit, you know, and just letting, even though I'm in a very public place right now, being in a public place doesn't necessarily feel like it's the most comfortable thing for me. Like I prefer to hide under my Scorpio (laughs) rock and just (laughs) put things out into the world from there. But the universe is asking me to be in a much more public place than I feel comfortable with. And so I'm rolling with it. But at the same time, I want to make sure that I don't get caught up in the glamour of it all, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of creativity around crafting your ritual baths. We were just talking about that. And I'm wondering what other areas in your life do you approach kind of in the same way? How are you creative at home and in your day-to-day life in that same sort of way? I think writing for me is a really huge creative outlet. Today, we're meeting 4.30 p.m. for me. I've been writing for most of the day. And is it free Um, writing? Is it just sort of whatever comes to you? Or is it writing with a purpose? It's a lot of writing with a purpose. It's a lot of writing different things for my Space by Mama Medicine community. But also, I'm really excited because I feel like a new book, like my next book has landed into my energy field. And I am thinking actually about entering the literary space more. Mm. Um, yeah. I love thinking reading your fiction. writing. Oh, thank you. Oh, that would be wonderful to see from you. I love that we're learning about what's next for you. Let's talk about your eventual journey into motherhood. Was it all that you thought it would be? And did you learn anything in the process being pregnant? One thing about the motherhood piece, because you were just asking questions about creativity, you know, it's almost like I feel like I can't even call myself creative if I look at my daughter because she's just constant art. She wakes up and she just starts drawing. She's been like this her whole life. And how incredible. Yeah. And you always hear we birth our teachers. And I really think that's true because. I think a lot of her coming through has shown me to believe in possibilities. Anything is possible and fulfilling creative potential. And so being pregnant for me was this real belief all of a sudden in miracles, you know? And of course, the actual pregnancy was the understanding of creative potential for me. And then meeting her and her coming out and just, I mean, as soon as she could hold a pen in her hand she's just been drawing drawing and drawing and wow she's eight years old and she can look at you and draw your portrait perfectly it's your wow that's incredible so she draws does she draw mostly people or does she draw other things she draws the happiest freaking stuff (laughs) oh that's so great yeah that is so great She travels with me almost everywhere I go. And so she draws a lot of nature, landscapes, different things that she's seen that are stored somewhere in her memory. She draws them from memory. So nature, people, people together, animals, that kind of thing. 
That's incredible. I'd love to see what those drawings look like. They already sound like they're incredible. How does creativity play a part in motherhood for you? Well, we really connect together through creating, be it baking, be it drawing together. A lot of times I'll start a drawing and then she'll finish the drawing or I'll start a painting and then she'll finish the painting or she'll start it and then I'll finish it or we'll go back and forth. And we do the same thing with songs. Like I'll start a line of a song and then she'll create the next line of the song. So there's a lot of actual creating in it. But then I think there's a lot of creative problem solving in motherhood as well. Because it's become such a big part of our lives and our work, I like to ask my guests, how do you feel about social media? You're such a visual person. I'm sure Instagram feels like a good medium for you. What is your relationship to social media? How do you feel about social media? It's a complicated relationship, you know, because when Instagram first came out or when I first found it, I think in 2014, which was when I started posting about the baths, I was really excited because people were so artful with what they posted and there weren't too many people on it. And I was really excited to see what everybody was creating. And it really felt like a good way of connecting. Fast forward to now. And it's hard. It's hard for me to even look at it, honestly, right now. I have to be on there for my business. And at the same time, I'm trying more to just post when I really feel like it, when I really feel like I have something to post and not just post because I feel like I have to. Like I have something I want to put out into that portal of Instagram, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. What inspires you these days in your work and also in other ways? I'm getting a little far out with this here, but bear with me. I was in Kauai a few weeks ago and I was snorkeling. And I was snorkeling with this woman who she snorkels and she dives out there all the time. We were swimming with sea turtles. And this sea turtle was on the ocean floor and she looked up at me. And we had this whole moment of eye contact and she starts swimming up to me. And then she put her beautiful face in my face. Wow. And we were just staring at each other wow. for like five minutes, just floating there, staring at each other. And I think that that was the most inspiring moment. And that connection to nature and the connection to nature's creatures and the way that animals can feel, I think sometimes about me, the way I feel about them, that's what's really inspiring me now. Which part of your work is giving you great fulfillment now? You have workshops and you do individual readings. I saw that you're going to be in Miami, I believe next month. My space by mama medicine community is feeling really amazing for me. It feels like my coven. It's such a beautiful community. There's such diversity in so many ways. I think that a big part of why people like working with me is because I have a really non-dogmatic approach to spirituality. And so have just naturally have attracted a following of people from very, very diverse backgrounds. And it's so amazing to see everybody come together and share together. So. I love the community. And then I also love having people that I've worked with 20 years ago in space, people who are just meeting me in space. 
and being able to offer something for everybody within there. It's something that everyone can connect on. So I'm very inspired by Space Bend Mama Medicine right now. We talked a little bit about what's next. We talked about bath kits and a book that you feel is in you. Is there anything else that's next for you that we should be aware of? Well, I'm starting a course on September 21st. This is going to be the first time that I've begun this course. However, I feel like I've helped people through their witch wound journey and in so many ways. And because I've been doing the work that I've been doing for so long, I get asked a lot if I would ever consider doing a mentorship program. And it just really hasn't felt right for me because I don't know if I can really authentically teach people to heal how I heal or do what I do. But what I can do is help people find their own gifts and their own talents and not be afraid to bring them forward. And that's what I'm going to be doing in the Witch Wound course. And I'm really excited about it. That's exciting. All right. We're going to wrap with your six list of current favorite things. I'm dying to hear what your current favorite things are. Okay. I would say going into that creative container with my daughter, travel. And I have a whole new appreciation for travel after. There's a course called The Feminine Code by Kate Murphy. I'm really, really into. I'm loving it so much. She's just a genius with business. She's so smart and she's so wise. Her course, The Feminine Code. Also, I'm really into getting organized right now in every single way. And then this is going to be a favorite thing, I think. But my husband and I have not been way together, just the two of us (laughs) at all in a very, 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 very long time. In October, we're going to go to Arizona together for a couple of days. I'm so excited for you. Is there anything that you're using to get organized that you're buying to organize yourself? It's a little bit boring, but one example is my business Dropbox is just, it's a mess. You know, it's a real mess, you know, I'm like, clearing it out. And then we're going to move everything over, I think, to drive because it's just more user-friendly and convenient. So that would be like a big example, right? But there isn't necessarily specific books or techniques I'm using. Yeah. Well, Deborah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was so good to talk to you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Have a good one. (laughs) Bye. Bye. 